Good afternoon. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verses 6 to 18. Galatians, chapter 6, verses 6 to 18. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, they may boast in your flesh. But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The story of the Lord. We are at the end of our sermon series in Galatians. And Ho Young has read that final passage for us. How do we end? And this is very interesting. Because in any song, in any kind of composition, a literary piece, artistic piece, the beginning is important, the middle is important, but the end is very important. The end is what you remember. And so in this passage, Paul is giving us the final exhortation in Galatians. And at first glance, what Ho Young read looks kind of like two parts. Even in some of your Bibles, there's like a little subtitle um, separating the verses 10 and 11, I believe. But it looks like the first part is about instruction. The second part is about invitation. Or the first part you can consider warning. The second part, blessing. But I want to make this contention that it's actually really just one section. And commentators and preachers are realizing that the statements that Paul is making toward the end of his letter are not disjointed statements to be taken separately. But this one passage, one cohesive unit exclaiming one thing. This whole passage is exclaiming one thing. And you might, you might have, I, I believe you've read along with Ho Young and you're thinking now, how is sowing and reaping? How is circumcision? How is boasting in the cross? How is grace and all these things tied together? And it's important that we know how it is tied together. In verse 6, Paul writes, Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Taught is the word catechumenos. Catechumenos is where we get the word catechism. The ones that are catechized are the ones that are being instructed in the faith. In our church, the pastors are the teachers and the congregation members are the ones being catechized. So if you read this verse, 
you ought to think a teacher should expect support with all good things. You know, some people might find this uncomfortable or even embarrassing to talk about, but this is a biblical principle, and it is emphasized many times throughout the Bible. Even Jesus himself, when he sends out the 72 in Luke 10, he goes, you go and you stay at a house, don't even, don't even take money, but you go and you stay at his house for a laborer deserves his wages. And if they don't, then you, they don't accept you, they don't welcome you. What you are to do is you're supposed to shake off the dust on your sandals and say, even may this dust be used against you. But a laborer deserves his wages. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talks about if spiritual things are sown among you, is it too much if we reap material things? The Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. All throughout the Old Testament, God commands Israel to give a portion of their lot to the Levitical priesthood. Martin Luther himself says, it is impossible for one man to both labor day and night to get a living and at the same time give himself to the study of sacred learning as the preaching office requires. So here we are exhorted for you to support the teacher, not with just money, but he is saying all good things. But we live in a generation where we have seen ministers who have abused this. Many even during Martin Luther's time, even when Martin Luther was seeing that, we would see that abuse. And even today, People may use this command to steal from the congregation and flock so that they themselves could live a cushy life. But in the other flip side, some congregations have abused the teacher and minister by making themselves the boss of the pastor, telling the minister, we are the ones to tell you what to do and how to do it. Um, I believe this is a reactional response to the abuses that we've seen in the past, like in the 80s and 90s and even now. There was an awkward moment between uh, Elder Jubin and I when we went, I'm not going to give you too much detail, but we went to this church for a service and they didn't know all the happenings of what was going on in CGS. And then, so this is an acquaintance of ours and they knew that I was the head pastor and they knew that Jubin Oh, well, I introduced them. Oh, Jubin is now our elder. And he said, whoa, that means Jubin's your boss, right? And then I said, what? And then it became really awkward between the three of us. Jubin was like, what? And we're just like, what's going on? And he's like, well, well you know, we're Presbyterians. Presbyterians means that, and this is his Korean mind, because in the Korean word, Presbyterian can sound like elder. So it's the elder church. And so the mindset was there. Oh, the elder is the pastor's boss, so you can hire and fire pastors. And then we had to really nicely say, no. <laughs> no, I don't know where you learned that from. That's, that's dangerous. Um, but both these ways are incorrect ways to see the relationship between the pastor and congregation. And this is in the scripture, so this should be taught and you, a pastor should not skip away from it, nor should a congregant member. How are we supposed to then see it? And the key word is in verse 6, and that key word is share. 
In the Greek, it's the word koinoneo, which we get koinonia, which is fellowship. In sharing and fellowship, there is partnership. Even if we do teach that the husband is head of the wife in the household, without partnership, there is abuse and strife. In the same way, there must be partnership with the pastor and his congregation. This fellowship is a deep and profound word, and Paul brings it up again here as he closes because he immediately goes on from this statement. Remember, these statements are not disjointed. They're all connected, and they all mean something, and they are meant to be together because he immediately goes from this, the relationship between the teacher and the learner, to do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. False teachers of circumcision were not in partnership or fellowship with you. Remember the instructions that I have given you because I am your teacher. It's me, Paul. And God will not be mocked because you will reap what you sow. We have to know that this is an absolute principle. There are no exceptions to this. You plant grapefruit seeds you are not going to get an avocado tree. And here's the kicker. It doesn't matter how bad you want the avocado tree to come up. That might sound foolish. That might sound crazy. But isn't this how we sometimes live life? When you plant a certain seed, you should expect that fruit to come out. But a lot of times what we will do is we will plant a certain seed and hope something else comes out. But that is not the case. And Paul is saying, God is not mocked. Don't be deceived. What you sow, you will reap. And in this event, if we sow to the flesh, there is corruption, decay, and death that comes out. But when we sow to the Spirit, there is eternal life. He's saying avoid sowing to the flesh. Don't let yourself harbor a grudge. Even with what our church is going through. Even what you are personally going through. When you harbor a grudge, you sow to the flesh. Don't let lustful thoughts prolong in your mind. Because when you sow to the flesh, you know what comes out. Why are you surprised that when people continue to subject themselves to pornographic images, to lustful images, and they think nothing is wrong, we see that the families start breaking apart? Don't wallow in self-pity or think you're better than her or him. Because when you sow to the flesh and when you sow to pride, you see that death comes up. Don't let bitterness set in its roots. Instead, set your eyes to the things that are above and not below. It's done by what we let our eyes ingest. You know, what are you looking forward to watching? It's done by the company that we keep. Who has power 
of persuasion over you, who's telling you what. And finally, it is done by who we worship. We do not worship ourselves. We don't glory in the things that we have, but we look to the one who gave us all these things. We don't glory in creation, but we give glory and praise and honor to the creator and say you are the one God who deserves all worship, all glory, and all honor. And finally, keep at it. Keep at it. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Don't give up. Last week, um, there were two potlucks, I think. One was with, uh, I think, the single affinity group, and one was with the married affinity group, and they were both at separate times. And I remember I, I wanted to attend the single one, but I had, I had some prior engagement, and I couldn't, but I could attend the, the family one. So I said, you know what, I'll, I'll cook some pasta. And so... After service, we had some refreshments, and then we had to run, run home um, to start cooking the pasta and put a big vat of water to boil. And then I stared at it. That's the worst thing that you could do. Because when you stare at water trying to boil, does it ever boil? It doesn't. So I looked away and started boiling. No. Um, you're not, when you stare at certain things... You know it's going to take forever. I'm just staring at the water. I'm looking at the clock, and the clock is ticking. Oh, man, I'm going to be late. And the water's just not boiling. Oh, maybe I should have left earlier. And all these thoughts are coming into my head. And um, how crazy would it be, though, if I said, this water is never going to boil? And I just turned the fire off. And Paul is exhorting his readers don't give up because it's going to grow. It's going to boil. And so in verse 10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is a very important verse for us to know. Even for evangelists, even for us as missionaries in the church, our end goal is not to convert. Now this is going to blow some people away. Like, what, what? Our end goal is not to convert. So when we say statements like, we got to flirt to convert, those things are not a good statement. In fact, there's a lot of wrong in that statement. Um, evangelism is not a hit and run. It's not a you give them the quick gospel message, they believe in Christ, you go, peace out. It's not that. It's precisely because we think like that so many people have become hurt and guarded when it comes to evangelism. Peter, when he went in front of the crowd, he preached the gospel and didn't go, thank you very much, everyone. I'm glad that it convicted you. I'm out. He didn't. He stayed and they said to Peter, this cut to our hearts. What shall we do? And Peter stayed with them and instructed them, and their number grew that day to 3,000. The end goal is to love them. You love people by doing what's good for them. 
And the question that you should be asking, even as missionary Reverend Peter Cho came up to share, the question that we should be asking is, do we have the power to meet the need that they have? Yesterday, I had an incredible privilege to hang out with some of our college students. I really loved it, you guys. It really touched my heart. Um, we went to two houses uh, through a program called Meals on Wheels, but it had nothing to do with meals, and the only wheels that were involved was, was us driving to someone's house. But we took a bunch of rakes, and these people were too elderly and too poor to rake their own leaves in their yards. So we would go and we would just do a simple task for them. And I saw all these college students not complaining, but enjoying, enjoying their time raking up leaves. Now, mind you, I don't know if they did really that good of a job in the raking of the leaves, because I was like, there's so many leaves. No, I didn't say that. Um, but they did their best, and I thought it was so, it was, it really was an honor for me to see, and I loved that I got to be a part of it. So thank you for letting me be a part of that. And afterwards, what we did was we asked them, can we pray for you? And, they said, and the first couple said yes. And then as we were praying for them, they started weeping. They started weeping because I believe they felt the presence of God, but they started weeping in the prayer. And then the, the, the lady of the house, she turns to me, what was she, like 90-something? I don't know, 80-something. But she turns to me and she goes, you're the pastor? I knew you are the pastor. I'm like, uh-huh, I'm sure you did. But she started telling me about her church and the, how we have to go to their music concerts on Christmas. I'm like, uh-huh, okay. And she just started opening up about her life and how she enjoyed it. And their faces were changed. Right from when we got there, their face was bright, but it just got brighter and brighter. And they started weeping because I believe they felt the love of Christ in that place when the church is gathered to help. We went to the second place, and this was a widower. And one of our college leaders, Karen, she was talking with them, learned about his story, that his wife had passed away, two of his children passed away, and he had two remaining children. He was like 97, six, it's close, uh, 96, and he had this crazy yard, and you know, our college guys and girls were all raking up leaves again, and he was just so happy. He was happy. He works at uh, a cemetery, and, you know, he looked really healthy for 96. Um, but afterwards, we asked if we could pray again. And then when we started praying, that's when he started to weep again. I went up to shake his hand afterwards and to introduce myself. But as soon as I introduced myself, he just started really weeping so he pulled himself away and he literally had snot come out of his nose and tears that were coming out of his eyes because he felt so blessed I gotta tell you this because these people may not have had the same political views we had in fact I know for a fact that they don't that they, they don't they don't one person had like an NRA, NRA poster in the bag. Another person talked talk to me about how much they distrusted Muslims and things of that nature. And then I was talking to them, oh, you know, it's, it's, the Muslims are, are to be pitied because they don't have Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Not just the fact that they're Muslims, but they don't have Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's the main point. But 
when we have the ability to help and we help, we see hearts starting to change. And this is what Paul is saying. This is what we are called to do. We are called to love people and especially those that are in the faith because they are our brothers and sisters. Um, there are some that would say that the unchurched are far less hypocritical than those that are in the church. And they, they have a lot of pain from the church. And I think to some degree that's true. And I, I sympathize with that. But while that may be the case, Paul exhorts his readers to do good, especially to those that belong to Christ. Because these are your brothers and sisters. If you can't even treat your family right, you may think you know how to treat others, but you don't. There is great wisdom in this statement. And then here, it's seemingly like Paul changes gear. And it says in verse 10, he's, ta he's talking about, now I'm going to write to you with big letters. A lot of commentators think, man, he just probably took the pen from his scribe. And he's, he has this thing that he just wants to get across. He's like, oh, give me the pen. I'm going to write, even though I'm not a professional scribe. You see these big block letters? I'm kind of yelling at you now. I'm writing to you in person. You want to make a good showing of the flesh? That's literally sowing in the flesh. You want to be circumcised? You want to live by the law? That's sowing in the flesh. And the ones that taught you these things, don't, they don't even follow the law. They just want to boast in your flesh. They just want to use you to lift themselves up. They are vainglorious. And all this is a vainglorious gesture. And then he says one of the most beautiful lines in all of Galatians. He says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Why is that beautiful? We all have boasts. I know that we've been taught don't boast, don't be boastful, but every person has a boast. Um, <clears throat> a boast would be like in the past, let's say an army would come and gather and someone would come up to the front and someone would do a boast. We have excellent weapons. Our arms are stronger than theirs and we will cut them down as easily as knife cuts through a paper and then they charge. See, that's a boast. In 1 Samuel 17, it writes about something like this as well, where they came out of the camp of the Philistines, a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. We believe that to be about nine feet and nine inches, something like this. This man was huge. And I was thinking, nine feet, nine inch man. If he joined any American football team and it's fourth and, and, uh, it's fourth and three, all he has to do is topple over. 
grab the ball and just go, oh, and topple over it, and boom, it's first down. And then I was thinking, you know what? All he has to do that is four times every time, and it's touchdown. No one can stop him. All he has to do is kind of keel over, and boom, he's gotten uh, over three yards every time. But this man is huge. He had a helmet of bronze. He had a coat of mail. He had a weight of coat that was weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's a lot of shekels. <laughs> and uh, yeah, some of you got that. That's amazing. Um, that means he was strong. He was able to hold all these things. He had a spear behind his back. He was slung between his shoulders. And, and, and what is this? The spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. This is no small man who's just tall for show. This was a strong man. And he was the boast of the Philistines. The Philistines didn't have to say anything. They're like, we'll show you what a real boast is about. You're saying here, here our arms are strong, our swords are strong. We'll show you Goliath. And they looked at Goliath and they couldn't say anything back. They're like, whoa, that's a boast. And the Goliath himself goes, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight and I'll crush him. And when Saul, King Saul and all of Israel heard it, it says in 1 Samuel 17, they were all dismayed and they were greatly afraid. That's a boast. There's a 1970 film called Patton about George S. Patton and he has this little speech that he gives the troops before they go into to, to battle in World War II. And this is a very famous speech. It says, um, <clears throat> Men, all this stuff you've heard about America not wanting to fight, wanting to stay out of the war, is a lot of horse dung. Americans traditionally love to fight. All real Americans love the sting of battle. When you were kids, you all admired the champion marble shooters, the fastest runners, big league ball players, the toughest boxers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Americans play to win all the time. I wouldn't give a hoot in hell for a man who lost and laughed. That's why Americans have never lost and will never lose a war because the very thought of losing is hateful to Americans. That's a boast. And that riled the troops up. In fact, they would play this clip from the movie before people would go out to battle in the Vietnam War to rile the troops. That's a boast. But here Paul is saying, my boast is in the cross of Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, Paul talks about the cross being offensive. It is offensive. If you're listening, the cross of Christ is offensive. To the liberal, the cross of Christ is intolerant. Are you saying that the only way to salvation, the only way that I can have eternal life is through the cross of Christ? That's offensive. You are excluding all of this huge swaths of ideas and peoples and thinkings. It's intolerant, so it is offensive. To the conservative, it's offensive. Because are you saying that my good values and that my good living is not good enough? It's not. In fact, the cross is saying more. 
The cross is saying that you are in the same state as those bad people. You are just as bad as bad. Humans in general would take offense because the gospel says we are too weak and sinful to do anything to save ourselves. And the gospel is summarized remarkably by this one verse. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I the world. What does that mean? A West Highland Terrier is a dog, and they're referred to as Westies. They're little dogs, and they're bred so that they would tunnel into badger holes, and they would engage the enemy, badgers, which are pests to you know, farms and things of the like, and they would tunnel under. And so even when people, there was a story about a couple who had this Westie, and um, it thought it saw some critter in a rock, under a rock, so in the backyard. So the Westie went crazy. It just started digging under the rock, digging and digging and digging. Nothing could stop this Westie from digging. Nothing could dissuade her. And she dug, dug, and dug until she got several feet under the rock. Now consider this question. Why do we as humans pursue, pursue, pursue? What are we looking for? What are we digging for? Once the West West Highland Terrier finds and gets what it's looking for, it comes up. And is it satisfied? Maybe. No. What does it do? It brings it to the owner. What does it want from the owner? It wants approval. The Westie doesn't go to just anybody. It goes to its master and says, look what I did. It wants approval. When we are made to do something, we were made to do it, and we were made to receive approval. And not just anyone's approval. Our souls long to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come, share in your master's happiness. But we don't get it. We look anywhere, everywhere, elsewhere. We'll dig until we die. We'll get it from other people, animals, and things, hoping that it would satisfy, but it never does. We'll try anything, but nothing works. Our all other boasts fail us. But in the cross, in the cross, Jesus Christ was jeered so we could get applause. Jesus Christ was punished so that we could get rewarded. Jesus Christ was rejected. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me so that we can find acceptance? Well done, my good and faithful servant. It's through the cross that you get this And not just by anybody, but by God himself. It's through the cross that we boast. Because through the cross, we finally have approval. 
the approval that we've been longing for. That's why you don't sow into the flesh. It doesn't do anything for you. What you sow is in the spirit. And we see that what we want is what we get through the cross. We get the approval of Christ in our lives. So it's not a matter of whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. It's not a matter of whether you do this or do that or don't do this or not doing that. It's about the cross of Christ. Now you are a new creation. No longer does the world hold you in its clutches, but you are now in the Lord's hand. That's how we can exclaim, hallelujah, praise God. I am free and my boast now before I charge isn't in my own strength, is it in the sharpness of my sword? Is it in anything but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you teach us that circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And in Romans 2.29, you have given us this truth. And that finally his praise is not from man but from God, what we have been longing for, for all of our lives. And Lord, we thank you that our boast isn't in anything else, but our boast is in your cross. We thank you, God. Let's take this time to meditate on the word that we've been given. And let's really reflect on where our boast is. And our boast if it is in Christ, how that changes us, our very being, even in this very instant. May the Holy Spirit guide your hearts as you pray and lift up your lives to the Lord. Let's pray.